The following production is brought to you by Ace Electric. For all your commercial and residential power needs, contact Alan Shively with Ace Electric, your ace in the hole. Find him on Facebook, online, and in the Yellow Pages. Good morning, afternoon, evening, or ass crack it on to your race fans, and welcome back in to another edition of Roland Race News. Been sitting around on the laptop trying to upload just a bunch of files. We've got some good recordings hanging out in the can, ready to come at you. Here's one that's ready to go for you. This week, we're going to be talking with the voice of the Malvern Bank and hauling with Poker Trucking, Super Late Model Racing Series, announcer Anthony Ainsley. It's been great to get to know him as the year's gone by, but this is the first time that he made it over to the billiard barn to sit down and talk with us for a while. So grab your favorite beverage, put in your headphones, uh, possibly be ready to change the volume just because I'm recording the intro on my wireless headphones and the podcast is recorded over a nice set of wireless microphones. So you might need to turn your volume up or down just a little bit, but I want to take a moment before we get into it to thank you guys all for listening to Roland Race News. We'll be right back with Anthony Ainsley. Dan, this is Jack Dover, Dan Taylor squats to pee, and you're listening to Roland Race News. All right, take number two, joined in the studio by Anthony Ainsley, voice of the Malvern Bank and Holland with Hoker Trucking SLMR Super Late Model Series. Anthony, it's been too long. We're kind of overdue for this. It's good to have you over here in the garage. How have you been, man? Oh, it's it's been it's been kind of it's been hit and miss here. And uh, for for those I've been, I'm still kind of coming over like a, a quick head cold here. I mean, it always seems like around the banquet season, around the end of January, something like this uh, just pops up out of nowhere. So if I if I sound a little hoarse, that's kind of why it is. But uh, yeah, we've been talking about this for months, James. I know. Uh, for a couple of the big late model specials that we were at, you know, we'd you know, we say like one of these days we got to get in into the studio, uh, sit down for maybe an hour or two and uh, and talk this one out. And uh, I'm glad we could finally get to do this. And uh, and it's kind of it's you know with with more things we get involved with in the off season, it just it, things like this just come harder and harder to come by. Absolutely, I mean, time is just. Of the essence. Yeah, it's something that is kind of hard to come by. And, I mean, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here doing this show right now today because the very first episode that we had was me, you, and Dan Taylor sitting up at the booth at I-80. Yeah, that was that was definitely a pretty emotional night for me. I know I was uh, I was kind of listening back to that on, on my Spotify account, and uh, I was thinking, like, my God, my thoughts were everywhere uh, in that interview with you. So I apologize on that part, but no, uh, man, you were good. That was, yeah, you, you definitely caught me before we went up to the, uh, to the suite to do that interview. I know you, you got in just, uh, near the tail end of the show of the race out there at I-80 for the I Nationals. I actually, uh, left the house with two laps to go in that feature. I was watching oh. it on flow and I, well, the thing was, is I had to work that night. They yeah. ended up letting me out like an hour and a half early, and I'm like, dang, if I leave now, there's no way I'm going to make this show, but I've got it on flow. So I'm going to line up a ride, and I'll have her come over when there's like two laps left, and we'll just roll out there. And it was sure was fun. Yeah, and definitely. And I think one of the things you saw me, I was just sitting out uh, in front of the decks. So I was just trying to process the whole night because – uh, that that'll be a night I will always remember because uh, I, I mentioned it before back in that episode when uh, uh, during the I eighty nationals it was the final night of that three day show after the the race got moved to Knoxville that was after Knoxville got their season cut short but uh, we had the Lucas Oil late models in and uh, from what I found out uh, earlier in the night uh, James Essex was on the mic and of course uh, his partner Bob Dillner oh, yeah. one of the other guys from Mav TV. Uh, he had a family emergency, couldn't make it out to I-80 that night, and so like right around the beef, right about the first or second B features for the Lucas Oil Late Models, uh, James brings me on and puts uh, lets me give my input in on the uh, the B mains, and then before we know it, uh, we're both calling that uh, that 80 lap feature at the tail end of the night, and what a race that was between uh, Tim McCready and Jimmy Owens to settle it out. Dude, what an incredible deal. I mean, it just goes to show how far and wide the racing community reaches. I mean, you don't typically get a lot of Knoxville guys heading over to I-80 unless it's for, like, Silver Dollar Nationals or the World of Outlaws. And then to put a show on like that, I don't know, that was just something really special to me. And I can remember seeing you that night down at the front of the stands, and you were just kind of, like, starstruck, man, dealing with some big people. And I-80, it 
it kind of has a way to bring that out because I can remember being just giddy and starstruck meeting John Gibson out there last year. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I've had the privilege to, to work with alongside John a couple of times out at McCool Junction as well as I eighty, and then uh, getting to work alongside James in that capacity was something very different. And uh, got to call basically a, a crown jewel late model event out there, and uh, I can't thank uh, I eighty Joe, Steve, Lisa, the entire staff there at I eighty for for helping helping out and making that possible as well as the entire Mav TV crew for having me on for that night. It was just completely spur of the moment. But I know I've talked to James before. We've, uh, every time we go up to I-80, we always shoot the breeze a little bit here and there. And, uh, and, and occasionally when we get to Knoxville, that, that, that does happen as well. So it was, it's really cool to, to build that camaraderie, not just with, not just with your local announcers, but with the national ones as well. I, that's kind of my rule of thing when, uh, even when I tour. If you could build a, uh, a good camaraderie, a good acquaintanceship with even the weekly announcers, like even if you're a traveling, if you could develop a nice little blend with them, that, that in turn makes the show in general uh, a better one. It's not just your touring show gets better, but the show all together makes a little better and that makes for a better experience for the fans and at the end of the day that's what really what really what matters see what you bring up there reminds me of that night that we all got to work together the one time when we were out at eagle for the nebraska cup and <laughs> dude i that was the end of my first year as a pit reporter and i mean me, you, Dan, I can't remember the other guy that you had. For, oh, uh, I think Jim, Jimmy Scott, I think, yep. was there. Uh, yep, you're right, for the MSCA. And then uh, I think Scotty Cook came down because we, yep. we had the war wingless sprints out there. Scotty's a great guy on the uh, on the open wheel scene for like for ASCS. Of course, he's he's probably winded after uh, doing the Tulsa shootout in the Chili oh, I can Bowl. Only imagine. But, yeah, Scotty's a, Scotty's a great guy to be around as well. But, yeah, you got – we had like six announcers. It it must have been almost like the state fair races, like almost all over again, because we had six guys out there, and we ended up frying one of the uh, one yep. of one of the speakers over there in turn four. I think J- Jim and I still talk about that one out at Eagle. But man, we we just had a blast. Just whether it was whether it was classic race cars, late models, or sprint cars, the fans got treated to to all of it in a single night. And uh, I hope hopefully. We uh, delivered a, a great show for them, and like I said, that's that's the main thing we want to do at the end of the night. Oh, absolutely. That's what we're here for is to put on a show and be entertainers. So, I mean, I know a little bit more about your background than a lot of folks might. Uh, I know you got your start announcing just kind of falling into it with some slot car stuff and uh, kind of run us through a little bit, catch us up to speed to where you came, or where you came, if I can talk, yeah. I'd be a better public speaker. But let us know how you got started and kind of the evolution to where it is today. Well, that yeah, you're right about that one part. I, about when I was about ten years old, I actually got my first paid announcing gig. Uh, a guy down from Omaha came down to the Nebraska State Fair. Uh, this was back when the fair was still being held in Lincoln. How it should and, be? Yeah, I, I personally miss that. I, I miss the racetrack out there too. Me too. That's one of the few tracks in Nebraska I have not announced at. But. Uh, yeah, I, I was just uh, announcing to myself just off to the side, and uh, the guy who ran the slot car track, it was just a nice little oval. He said, you know, if if I invite you back tomorrow, would you like to, you know, just kind of off and on call, impromptu call these races that uh, the customers get to do? And I said, sure, and sure enough, spent the whole day out there uh, calling slot car races and uh, made about $25 out of the uh, out of the effort, and before he knew it, he he uh, invited me to come up to a show in Omaha. They had their uh, the River City Roundup show that they have out there. Got to do the same thing, I think, for about a day or so, and uh, that was kind of the that was kind of the the the, uh, the foundation basically. Was that from like uh, somebody from Hobbytown, USA, or do you remember who that was? Uh, I think it was uh, Gary Girding from I believe I don't know if the site's around. It's called his. Uh, his slot car business was called Girding Fast Tracks. If you look okay. at, it. I, I don't know if he's uh, still in the game or not. I don't know if I don't know if he had any ties with uh, the Hobbyplex up in Omaha or any Hobbytown stores around the local area. But, uh, but yeah, that's where it really started, and that's that's kind of where it it was up until my uh, freshman year of high school. That's when I started going to McCool Junction. Uh, more often. This was back when Junction was under their NASCAR sanction. Yep. This was, oh, this was about four or five years before they uh, 
they switched to the IMCA banner in 2016. And, but and well before they resized the track. Yes, this was uh, this was before they resized the the track out there in McCool Junction. And you know Wayne Dake was uh, one of the main announcers out there. And one night he asked if if anyone in the fan in the grandstand wants to try announcing, just just go down in front of the flag stand, right in front of the fencing there. He said, because, you know, we can't do this forever. And sure enough, I was the only one who volunteered. And uh, I guess the rest is history. I've worked out at McCool Junction probably ever since my freshman year of high school and worked all the way up to the last couple of years where it's it's gotten so busy with uh, the, the late model schedule that uh, I've kind of had to step away from full-time announcing duties at McCool Junction. But I, I still can't thank Delmer, Delmer Friesen, the entire Friesen family out there, and uh, Wayne and everyone who uh, helped me get my footing there at, at Junction Motor Speedway. That, that track uh, will always hold a special place in my heart because uh, I know it's an hour, almost an hour and a half drive for me, but I still consider that one of my home tracks. Oh, absolutely, and it's such a beautiful facility. Who's, uh, who is on the main announcing <laughs> out there these days? I only made it down for the spring meltdown. I think they had Ryan Kumpf and Wayne Dake. Uh, Ryan is mainly, uh, the guy out there because, uh, I know Wayne comes in every, every now and then, of course, he's mainly been helping out, uh, I think down at the Jefferson County Speedway in Fairbury. I know he's, I didn't know that. he's I helped out. Sh- yeah. We, uh, uh, my girlfriend ran into him and I, well, we both met him down at the, uh, the Midwest Midget Challenge when the, uh, USAC Midgets made it down there to Fairbury and yep. they had the now 600s down there. We, we uh, met him there while the dri- while the USAC drivers were having an autograph signing. So we kind of ran ran to him, shot the breeze a little bit, and uh, but yeah, Wayne was one of the guys who really got me off my feet there. Then, uh, of course, after Wayne stepped away from announcing uh, at Junction full time, Jimmy Scott came in and helped me out a little bit there. And before that, we turned before long, uh, we turned that into a partnership over at US Thirty Speedway, but. Even before that, like I eighty Speedway uh, came a knocking, I was able to land the pit reporting position out there at I eighty, along with uh, you know that was back around when when Dan Taylor was starting up there, and yeah. uh, and bef- even then, then Chris Krug and Stan Caesar came in over time, and I was there as well. So it's been it's been a very uh, interesting journey uh, to say the least, getting different kinds of positions here and there, and I think all overall, I think that makes me a a better uh, race uh, reporter and broadcaster wherever they need me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just like driving a race car. You don't see too many Kyle Larsons that are that good racing just one night a week, and I I feel that it goes the same for broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, you need to get those laps in. I think that's that's one of the things I learned when I was uh, going to college at, at UNL, uh, I took this, uh, what was it? I think this was a, a psychology class or something like that. It was in the journalism school about different ways to make yourself successful. And one of the things they brought up was uh, this little thing called the 10,000-hour rule, that if uh, they, they used like the, you know, one of the greatest rock bands of all times, the Beatles, they used them as an example because before they became, you know, the Beatles, they, when they were the, like the biggest rock band in the world, they would play at a lot of small bars and dance clubs and everywhere. And the more they did that, the more comfortable they got in front of people. And the more they did that, you know, they would be more comfortable in front of bigger audiences, you know, when they made it famous. So, like, the more times you get, uh, you get times to work your craft in front of the smaller crowds, like in front of the weekly racing programs, you know, before long, you'll be working those specials and it'll feel like, it'll feel like a breeze to you. Absolutely. It definitely does get a little bit easier with time. Now, you uh, bring up a good point. I don't really know a lot of race announcers who have a college background when it comes to journalism and doing stuff like that. How has that opened up doors? I know that you announce a lot more than just car racing. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years I've been able to uh, announce high school volleyball and basketball and football at the at the high school level for, for LPS around here. But the main, the, one of the funny things is that, uh, like the closest thing I got from the university is, the maybe like the high, the high school level things, but, uh, but the racing side of things, like none of that came through the university. I had to, uh, just a lot of things change up, uh, the way I write articles on, uh, for like dirt drivers and stuff and change the way, uh, change the approach of, of how to present a race or something like that. Like none of the announcing deals that I've put together in the racing world came through the university. That came on my own, and uh, I, I 
take a, a take a good deal of pride of that. Like you even like even the super late model racing position that I am with uh, with Malvern Bank and Hoker Trucking right now for the supers, none of that was was set up through the university. I didn't have any professors, you know, talk to the talk to to Joe or any of the promoters of the tracks. I had to work that out on my own, and uh, that's that's one of the things I I really like the most about my career because. There, there's like a line from if you ever watch the movie The Social Network. It's a yep. movie about the creation of Facebook. They say that it's a, one of the lines that stuck with me is that they say this about Harvard students that Harvard students don't get jobs; they create them. And like in that back at that time, whoever the track announcer was, that was who announced the uh, the, the SLMR race that night. But uh, then I made the offer to come travel with with Joe and and the crew and. Before long, I was I've been there, and now I've co- completed about seven seasons uh, with the Malvern Bank Series, going into my eighth, and and I still hold that true. I'm I feel proud that uh, I didn't I didn't basically get that job; I created it. That's incredible, man. That's taking initiative and really just throwing it all out there and seeing what sticks. And I, I can't thank them enough for uh, taking a chance on me. I mean, I was. I was about a 20-year-old college kid just uh, looking to try to chase this dream of racing. And, and I can't believe, like, on my 20th birthday, that was the first time I kind of sort of uh, served as the voice of the Malvern Bank Series. They were out in Lexington, Nebraska, Dawson County. That's a track at the time I had never been to before. So there we were, like, like right in the middle of a pit area at a racetrack I've never been to, um, announcing for the for the late model tour, which I'd never done before, except the night before at McCool Junction before they went to Lex, and and here we are about seven years later, now in charge of announcing two super late model tours, going back and forth between Nebraska, Iowa, some, sometimes into Kansas and Missouri, and now rattled off a number of great tracks. You know, Knox, you got to announce at Knoxville for now three times, number of races at I eighty and. Uh, just now Marshalltown a couple times, Farley, Davenport, you name it. It's it's been quite a journey. Who's got the best announcer's booth to work out of? Oh, that's that's a good one. I I'd probably have to I'd probably have to give it to I eighty right now with uh with the the upgrades they did to the announcer's booth uh last year or so. That's still one of the better booths that I've been to. Um outside of I eighty, um Gosh, I'd probably have to say maybe Adams County over in Corning and, and Knoxville. It's got to be a tie between those two because it's night. Adams County uh, made good uh, renovations to their uh, press box and, and scoring tower as well. It's a uh, very nice enclosed, climate controlled. It, they've added a lot of great new digs to the uh, to the Adams County uh, announcers booth. So that would probably be the next best one. Man, I would love just one time to get to announce from. You know, that enclosed climate-controlled booth. I know Dan's invited me up to sit with you guys at I-80 a handful of times, and it's always pretty nice to be 100 degrees outside and just be chilling out up top. Yeah, the thing, and especially with uh, with how they put in those bathrooms, I mean, you either had to take, like, a Snapple bottle up there or, or make the long haul down and climb all the way back up the stairway to heaven. I mean, you still got to do that for the concession stand, but other than that, it's been a great addition, and... Uh, I haven't tried it too much in Knoxville. I haven't had to do so much with that. Uh, Junction's kind of the same way. They do have uh, uh, bathrooms up there at the top uh, behind the suites. So that actually that, that came very handy one night out of McCool because uh, about halfway through the features one night, I was I was with Wayne, and we were calling you know the weekly stuff along with the super late models. Uh, I think it was right after the 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 weekly late model feature. I ended up calling. I ended up feeling sick to my stomach, and then next up was, like, the modified feature. You know, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of cars for that feature, so I was feeling kind of very uneasy. Wayne took over calling the modified feature. I was actually, you know, just losing my guts basically in the bathroom, and I still had to come back out and call the super late model feature which I did. My my throat and stomach were just burning, and I still had to run all the way down, do the victory lane interview, come all the way back up. I think we may had like one or two more features to go and finish out the night. That was probably the worst headache 
that I've ever had on the way home from the races. It's one of the few times uh, that this actually felt like work that, rather than fun. I know. It's, it's amazing how much this really does, whether you get paid a nickel or you get paid five, $600 a night. I mean, this never feels like work. Yeah, it's that's that's the beauty of it, and that's that's uh, it's kind of hard to find uh, guys and and girls like that uh, who see it as as fun rather than work. I mean, it's it you know the talent pool. You know, as much as we try to uh, encourage kids to do that, you know, it's still pretty slim. I mean, we're still I don't know how uh, if Ryan's gonna be able to find someone if if he's got something. You know, like uh, when August comes around in September. You know, like uh, thankfully, like tracks like Albion and stuff are are done for the season by the time mid-August comes around because it's about when the fair board uh, closes it down for school starting up and then you have all the high school football that goes in high school football and volleyball that goes into into October and stuff meanwhile we're still we're still racing until about late November so when it's uh, it's still kind of tough to uh, to find the right uh, talent there but uh, I've been fortunate enough to to work with some young talents and try to try to help foster that influence, that interest in in racing, and hopefully keep them with it because you never know when you're going to need a substitute. Absolutely, whether it be a substitute, and and it goes far beyond the announcers' booth too. If we don't continue to keep new people coming into the sport, we're not going to have a sport. We need butts in grandstands, we need butts in seats, and we need butts in the booth. Absolutely, and uh, I know one of the one of the good young talents I've gotten to come by. Young kid named Braxton, who's uh, he's often he works a bit out at uh, Sports Park Raceway, Fort Dodge, Iowa. He's they run on Fridays, and then also works at the Hamilton County Speedway in Webster City, Iowa. Young man who's getting his start in uh, announcing, and I'm kind of jealous of him because actually I think uh, this last March he actually got to go down to to Bristol for the Big Dirt Nationals down there. I'm going oh, like for XR. Yeah, I'm going like oh dang, I was kind of. A part of me was kind of gritting my teeth at one point. I'm going like, "Come on, put me in there!" But uh, that was a great opportunity for him. And uh, you know, after the race, after the races, one night we had an SLMR event at Webster City. Um, I think I ran into either his mother or his father as well after the races. And I, I told Braxton a number of times, you know, you're in Iowa. This place has more racetracks per capita than any other state in the union. So there are going to be a lot of opportunities. And with all these midweek races that are starting to pop up, definitely get your name out there because there could be a lot of uh, opportunities where many other announcers are not going to be able to make it. Because, like, I had one of those, we had one of those things happen out at uh, Stewart this year for our one of our Malvern Bank shows. We uh, we made it out, we made it out for the uh, the super lane models, but then they had about five or six other classes. Uh, we're about maybe. 20 minutes out from hot laps or something and uh one of the director one of the race directors told me you know the other announcer is not going to make it and so i had to pretty much call the rest of the night on the with uh with the other classes and i'm I'm glad i got to do that it's a nice nice little change of pace and uh or like maybe was i think 2020 during uh the Yankee Dirt Track Classic over at Farley. The other announcer, you know, was feeling a little lightheaded, so he stepped out. I took over announcing the stock car feature. Like this was like completely on the fly, and uh, say that. And um, I, I had I had a blast, and uh, but also that's one of the things I'd like to maybe uh, suggest to one of those guys that want to tour around a little bit for you know for racing tours be sure to pay attention to those other classes and learn those names as well because you never know when they're gonna maybe join in on your tour or you never know when an announcer is gonna you know fall down on the job and you might have to step in absolutely well i mean that happened to me uh during the nebraska why can i not think of the name the cornhusker classic at i-80 Dan's like hey uh our guy bailed we kind of need somebody. Can you please help me out? And I'm like, well, absolutely. I'm not going to, especially with all the rumors that were going around at I-80, it's like, man, I've got to make sure that I at least leave my mark on this, even if it's for one night. Yeah. And what was that? That was like the first time in three years that uh, that you, uh, Dan, and I got to be part of the same broadcast. Yeah. That was, really, that was real fun, and uh, especially during the Cornhusker, with all the pandemonium that goes on during that event, it's, it's definitely an, uh, an atmosphere like no other. The biggest mistake that I made that weekend was yeah. 
um, they had Eddie was there, and then they had to call him off to do something else, and I was just hanging out with you guys, and Dan's like, okay, you can sit up here with us and hang out, or you can go down to the infield and pit report for, you know, X amount of dollars. And I'm like, well, I don't really care about the money, but I'll totally go down there. I get down there and across the track, and then I'm like, wait a minute. This is only heat races. I'm really not going to get the chance to talk to hardly anybody. So then I'm just like, oh, great. I'm going to go sit in the infield by myself. But that was a great opportunity to just get to know drivers, like walk up to them. Hey, I'm not going to stick this mic in your face, but I'm James Rowland. You know, nice to meet you. Yeah. And you kind of get to hobnob and bump elbows that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the guys that run at I-80 also run Eagle. And I think we've seen a little bit more of that with the stock cars that have been uh, been incorporated with uh, Eagle Raceway as well. So it's 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 nice. It's good to see a few guys uh, go that way, and especially on that uh, Friday night of the silver of the uh, Cornhusker Classic. Now that they've got the uh, the double heat races, there's no shortage of action, and yeah, and there's so many uh, potential interviews out there because I I forgot how many interviews I did uh, during the the regular the real Silver Dollar Nationals. Uh, rattled off a number of uh, late model interviews that Dan wanted me to do. I know. Uh, got Tyler Erb, Ricky Thornton Jr. a couple times. Got I got Scott Bloomquist, Jonathan Davenport, uh, Ricky Weiss a, a couple times. So you, you never know where it's going to come up, and especially on those qualifying nights, those could be almost just as exciting, if not more, than uh, than maybe the the main event. Oh, absolutely! I mean, you bring out some stacked heat races. So many people, and you see it at every racetrack you go to. We do have a lot of fans that like to show up late, and a lot of times they miss out from that. Yeah, I mean, or like you, you, you take like the Indy 500, for for example, like one of the best stories, you know, could be from qualifying, like Bump Day or something like that. Like a couple of years ago when, uh, was it when Kyle Kaiser uh, scored, uh, got the final spot in the Indianapolis 500 a few years ago, and he did it by taking out the, the two-time world champ Fernando Alonso. That was one of the biggest stories of that Indy 500 weekend, and, and not a lot of fans got to see that. It's wild, you know. So many people say, well, qualifying so boring and this and that, but I've always loved watching qualifying. There's just something about here in a car, whether it's a 410 sprint car, 305, Indy car, late model, there's just something about hearing that car at full song down the straightaway that I, I can't get over that. Yeah, it's, and it's something different because you never know what's going to happen either. I mean, I remember one time I went to a World of Outlaws show out at, uh, out at Eagle. We had, uh, was it uh, the, before she was uh, an ASCS regional champion, Natalie Sather came out and uh, tried to qualify. She had, unfortunately, she, she ended up spinning out twice in the same qualifying session. Oh, that was, I remember that now. That, that, was a, that was a tough night, but hey, she, she got better as a driver, of course. Uh, back when we had the ASCS Midwest region, she became a champion of that, of that series. So it was great to see her. Yeah, and it's great to see her take up a career in in uh, broadcasting as well. I was going to say, yeah, kind of broadcasting, kind of PR. She gets to wear a lot of hats under one series. Yeah, I think she used to, like at one point, she was like the Victory Lane interviewer for the World yep. of Outlaws Sprint Cars. I remember seeing her there, and, uh, you know, it's it's good to see that. And um, it, it's a nice alternative, too, and just in case if uh, something happens to where you can't be behind the wheel, you know, a lot of these guys will step into crew member positions or broadcasting it's you know it's it's, it's kind of like it it's kind of like nfl you see a lot of former players and coaches step into the uh into the broadcast booth we see that with nba and all kinds of other sports and of course with nascar with tony stewart coming on board with clint boyer i love and, that oh man i'm going like uh oh, <laughs> you can't you're gonna get plenty of good ratings especially with uh with the upcoming season, especially if you get smoke on the horn. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it's going to be great because for the longest time, you know, NASCAR and Tony Stewart kind of had a rift, and NASCAR lost a few fans because of it. I think bringing Tony back is really going to help out these TV ratings. I think so. And uh, I, I know Clint Boyer has a great bit of personality as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of course, Dale Earnhardt Jr., you got to throw in there. But smoke has got to be the ne- one of the next best ones. I th- probably think it may be maybe better – slightly bit more personality than you maybe see from like Jeff Gordon or, or like Kevin Harvick or Joey Logano or Brad Keselowski. Not to say they aren't uh, great personalities. They're great behind the wheel as well. They've proven that. But, uh, you know, one of, one of the things you think of when you first think of when you come to like Tony Stewart or, or Dale Earnhardt Jr., besides their uh, driving ability, is their personality. That's one of the first things that uh, many fans 
many fans come to think about. Absolutely, and that's something important for drivers to remember when people come to your pit area. You kind of you got to give these people a little bit of time because ultimately they're the ones that keep this thing going. You know, they yeah they get the hero. They come down. They get the hero cards that uh, you pour money into, and of course they buy the merchandise and stuff. They those are the uh, the extra bit of dollars. They're not, they're, you know, they're maybe not the big time dollars that you get from sponsors, but they're the extra, they're the extra cushion that uh, keeps you going on the road. Absolutely. But so far, it's been, uh, it, man. I think this cabin fever is kind of killing me, James. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get back out there. I mean, with a couple of banquets in, we've rattled off a couple of swap meets as well. So, I think, I think I'm like a lot of these drivers that I'm, I'm really ready to get back out there again absolutely starting to get a little a little bit stir crazy so what are the 2022 plans for anthony ainsley well primarily it's uh malvern bank and holland with hoker trucking super late models again that's that's going to be my primary focus you know we've got about 43 nights scheduled with potentially maybe one or two more in the works right now i know uh i know joe kaziski was talking about one of these deals uh uh, during the uh, during the banquet last, uh, this would have been uh, on Friday night. But uh, Independence Motor Speedway stepped up and got two E Series races. One of them, they want to be. Uh, they had a big uh, memorial race last year. I-, I was really surprised by this. Like if I had planned better and had a few more resources, I probably would have been out there on a Wednesday night. But this big memorial race they had last year that paid seventy two hundred dollars to win. And now they want that memorial race, from what it sounds like, to one, be on the East Series schedule, and two, they want to move it in front, in front of our Marshalltown race. So they want to move it on a Wednesday and then have Marshalltown on Thursday. I don't know what uh, the rest of the weekend will hold, but that would be a, a huge deal. That would probably be, if uh, if it if I can figure this out, it would be the second highest. Uh, paying race that we have all season long that would bring a lot of great drivers out so mainly the super late model tours i'm really excited to to see we've got more new racetracks on the west series uh the belleville high banks for the first time is coming on with the uh, with the xr super series we're going to be tackling the quarter mile instead of the the historic half mile really as much as i would love to see them on the half mile i know why i know why uh, joe doesn't want to do that because uh that if you if you've been to Belleville, you know you're constantly in the throttle. You're at high speeds, and uh, it is an engine's worst nightmare. So yeah, she's I understand. I totally understand why why Joe wanted to do the quarter mile instead of the half mile. I, I respect that, and I know I was I've had that thought for years. That's why you wouldn't do Belleville otherwise. But then we also have uh, the refurbished I seventy Motorsports Park down in Odessa. We've got a, a two-day weekend. We'll be down at Lakeside the night before, and then go down to Odessa. And and uh, fun enough, that's that's the weekend before we go to Knoxville uh, for the Bob Moshman Memorial Race out there for the Late Mile Nationals. And uh, a couple of other places, like I mentioned, the Sports Park Raceway in Fort Dodge. Yep. They're on the schedule in a, in a very unique capacity because they one night they have an East race, second their second race they have a West race. That'll be fun to see. And then we also have uh, Kasuth County coming on board this time uh, over in Algona, Iowa. They're they're on the schedule for the first time. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting places that we're going to go to. Of course, a lot of of course a lot of our favorites are going to be back on the board. I80s on for three shows. You know we got the spring meltdown, uh, the prelude for the silver dollar nationals, and of course uh, the the bittersweet one, the the final night at I80 Speedway is also going to be championship night uh, for the Malvern Bank and Holland with Hoger Trucking Series. So that that'll be that's it's going to be one amazing way to to finish out I80 by crowning two late model champs there, and then we've got Rock Rapids back on board. Off Road Speedway is back on. As well in North Fork, we got, uh, of course, we got Adams County Speedway and their second race, their big Ray Houck Memorial. For the first time, that's going to be an East and West race. All right, it's, it's going to be about colliding. Yeah, I think that's going to be about five thousand to win, and uh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a few more East West showdowns, like the, the final race at Davenport for the Iowa Governors Cup. That's going to be an East West showdown as well. Of course, the Yankees back on. We got Knoxville back on. We've got two shows in Marshalltown this year. One of them being the Dale de France Memorial. That's going to be big. Uh, we've got Cresco back on. That was 
That was one of our better shows from last year on the East Tour. We had a complete sold-out crowd out there at the Howard County Fairgrounds. Two of my favorite words. Oh, yeah. Standing room only out there at Cresco. They're back on. West Union down at Fayette County. They're back on. We've got Makokota. We're going to try to hit up Lee County as well over Donaldson. East Moline, the tight little bull ring that... That, uh, that Gary Webb knows like the back of his hand. Oh, there, yeah. East Moline's back on. So, and uh, we're trying to work on we're trying to work on Eldon again. We'll see if uh, if uh, the Wapolo County Fairgrounds make it back on. So far, they're not on yet. We don't. We're nothing set in stone there. We got two two races at Stewart. One of them being part of the XR Super Series uh, when that when that tour heads down to Stewart. So that's going to be on a on a Monday. So. It, there's a lot of ex- there's a lot of things to look forward to, and uh, I'm it just gets me more excited the more I talk about it. Oh, absolutely! I mean, yeah. how how can you not get amped up for racing? So, oh, yeah. Malvern Bank Series kind of the main highlight. Yep. Are you doing anything with the Dirt Crown, or just kind of going to um, fill in wherever you can? Uh, I think the Dirt Crown may have me back on. I, I know they announced the the big stock car uh, crown event. That'll be cool. A couple of thousand, two thousand to win stock car. Uh, races at a couple of different tracks. I know Eagles got one of them. I think I-80's got one. US-30, Dawson County, Off-Road's got one. I think the stock cars are going to be there on I-80's last yeah. night, too. I thought I saw October 15th. Yeah. So the Outlaws that Friday night, and then cap it all off on Saturday night with yeah. the SLMR and the Dirt Crown stock that, car deal. That's... I like the sound of that. I hate seeing I-80 go, but that... sounds like one heck of a last weekend. Definitely. That's going to be a whale of a last ride. And then, of course... Uh, for for all the folks, I'll be out at the at the home of Thursday Night Thunder US thirty Speedway as much as I can. I know we have a couple of uh, Thursday SLMR shows that may conflict with that, but uh, I'll be at Columbus as much as I can. I'll be at I eighty as much as I can. Uh, I know I was throwing uh, the uh, a couple of guys and I were throwing the idea around maybe the Midwest Madness Tour when that comes up in June. If they do have me on board for every race on the uh, Madness Tour, I would have to lose uh, another night at US 30 because the final night of the Madness Tour at Stewart is on a Thursday. Is that? And then uh, back in December, the promoter down at the Belleville High Banks actually called messaged me a little bit and uh, asked if I'd like to come do a couple of uh, specials. I think they've got, uh, they got their King of the Crossroads uh, midget race for the Rocky Mountain Midgets down there, and uh, they threw the the idea for me to come on down for that weekend. I I told them I was free, and then and then possibly there could be a chance of me maybe going down down to Belleville for the uh, the 305 Nationals. That is that has grown into be a a blockbuster st- sprint car event. Oh, you it's know. incredible! Yeah, and they've added more money to the purse to that, so it'll be uh, a little bit more of a benefit for those drivers to go down there, but. Uh, Still working those details out, but I think uh, the two SLMR dates at Belleville are for sure, and uh, we'll see how the Fourth uh, of July weekend looks for that Rocky Mountain Midget weekend they have down there at Belleville. Other than that, I think there are a few extra weekends that I have. I know I saw I don't have I don't have anything going on for the Icebreaker weekend, so I'll probably go down to Eagle, especially now that you guys are running IMCA late models on that Friday night. I might have to come in and uh, see how everything's going and. Uh, we'll we'll see where the rest goes. Absolutely. I think we're in for a great summer no matter what you're doing. Anywhere you go, just get out to a racetrack pretty much. Definitely. And with uh like I said, there are more midweek races. You gotta do you gotta do a little bit of digging to follow these racetracks uh on the social media sites on Facebook. Go follow their websites as well so you can get as much info as you can, especially with uh all like I said, all those fair races that are going on, the XR Super Series whenever they when they come through the Midwest, they've got a number of shows at Belleville uh, for their week, and then they've got Stewart for about four or five days. So there's still a, there are a lot of golden opportunities uh, to see a lot of the biggest and brightest drivers come on out. Oh, absolutely. I think we're in for a huge one, man. I, I mean, I'm looking hard and heavy for a first shift job, and I'm about three weeks away from having a driver's license. So we're going to get to some more shows this year. Oh, yeah. That, that'll be a great thing to see, especially almost with – if you get a, get in a big enough vehicle, you can almost have a pre-race show out of the trunk and uh, have a nice little go-ahead there. Like, I know you're definitely big when the Race Saver Nationals weekend comes around. That's, all, that's always a fun weekend to go to. I, I haven't been – to like an entire weekend in the same year, but I've gone to at least one date 
of the Race Saver Nationals. I try to do that as much as I can. I mean, I'm mainly a late model guy at heart, but uh, but uh, I'll watch those sprint cars anytime I get a chance to. I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the guys at Eagle know me, and uh, I've gotten to call sprint car races every now and then. But uh, you know, there's there's nothing like the Race Saver Nats. Man, that's one thing that's great about you is even though you have so much focus on late models, you don't have a single issue going to any track, whether you know anybody or not, and going and watching whether it's a compact, a sprint car, it doesn't matter. You're just a true race fan, and we need a lot more people like that. Yeah, I mean, it's but, – but, and uh, we've seen we've uh, seen a little bit of that out in Knoxville. I mean, uh, like the Dirt on Dirt guys have said this numerous times every time they have the late model nationals come out. You know, you have a lot of those locals at, Na- at Knoxville. Uh, they come out for the late models, even though they've been – Watching sprint cars all summer long with the with the weekly programs, and then of course the Knoxville Nationals that come around in August and September. You know, you'll see a lot of them for the late model Nationals. I mean, the crowd's not as big as it is for the uh, Knoxville Nationals. There's there's still no one on the backstretch grandstands when the late model Nationals come around. But yet, you, yet yeah, but you still see a lot of guys come out for that show. I mean, last year last year was pretty fun to watch, and uh, I know it was. Uh, Pretty clean race on the Malvern Banks side. I know Tad Pospisil, he put on a dominating performance out at Knoxville to get his second win out there. And um, But still, it's great to see those guys come out. And, you know, we've seen a lot of drivers make the switch between different machines. You know, we saw a lot of modified guys go to late models the last couple of years. You know, and we've seen guys like Donnie Schatz and Kyle Larson. You know, they're, they're experimenting with late models more often now. And you're seeing a few more... Uh, you see a lot more guys moving around and think guys like Bobby Pierce, you know, occasionally go and race the chili bowl every now and then and, and try some things. A lot of guys are getting to be more, more adventurous out there. Oh, absolutely. I think we're really on the verge of the next true heyday in racing. You've got Kyle Busch coming down to run the Tulsa shootout. Chase Elliott's driving midgets more often. You've got people going, you know, some, some people like to hate on Kyle Busch for going and doing something like the Tulsa shootout, but at the end of the day, that's yep. bringing more viewers to NASCAR. That's bringing more viewers to mini sprint racing. That's bringing more viewers to the Tulsa shootout. I mean, the more people and the more faces that we have from different series going from one to another is doing nothing but helping our sport succeed and thrive. You saw that with the prelude to the dream. Remember that? I that, loved that. That, that phase of uh, late model racing before the dream weekend down in Eldora. You know, you got Tony Stewart, guys like Carl Edwards, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Danica Patrick, Kyle Busch, Casey Kane, just all these drivers from NASCAR uh, taking a stab at, at super late model racing. And a lot of them are liking it enough to where they're trying to continue. I mean, Clint Boyer, I mean, you look, he's, uh, you know, he got a couple of runs out there at the, uh, at the prelude to the dream. And before we know it, you know, he starts a, a two car Lucas oil late model team. Still haven't heard any updates on like, uh, on what's going to be the deal with that. Now with, uh, with Josh Richards, uh, teaming up with boom Briggs, that was kind of their main guy, uh, over at Clint Boyer racing. I haven't heard any plans on what's going to happen from there, but, uh, is you see you also have more guys investing in dirt racing like a couple of years ago like Matt Crafton you know multi-time yeah. NASCAR Truck Series champ he's been running modifieds the last couple of times to get more acquainted with dirt guys like like Justin Allgaier on or the David Stremme yeah David Stremme who's who's even building cars uh, down in Florida like I mentioned Justin Allgaier he's been running uh, more UMP stuff and trying to get more dirt experience because you never know when he's gonna get signed up to to do whatever, and with NASCAR trying to go more in the grassroots in the grassroots ways, you never know what division they're going to move on to dirt next. I mean, the trucks had had Eldora. They've got Knoxville now. Of course, ARCA has been doing dirt for a number of years oh, around, yeah. around Springfield, DeCoin, and all those places. Um, who knows when they're going to move the Xfinity Series uh, on to dirt. And I mean, with the cup series moving on to dirt, like they did at Bristol last year, you never know what's going to happen next. I like the sound of all of it. And then, um, kind of going back a little bit, you've got guys like Ryan Newman who are at the sunset of their NASCAR career. And it sounds like, uh, obviously rumors are rumors, but it sounds like Newman's going to start doing a lot of short track racing on pavement and dirt. Yeah. From what it sounds like, you know, he was, uh, 
he was big, I believe, in the in the modifieds for a while there, and of course did asphalt sprint cars for a number of years. So guys like JJ Yaley, you know, he's uh, running off and on for uh, for for Rick Ware Racing. Yep. JJ was a, a major standout. Uh, at the turn of the century for USAC sprint car racing, that's kind of how he got into that deal with Joe with uh, with Joe Gibbs racing in his first uh, part of his tenure in the Cup Series. So there's uh, a lot of guys going to that. No Casey Kane, of course, last year been uh, stepping away from NASCAR and running a lot of World of Outlaw stuff. Ran the t- basically the second half of the year uh, with with Roth Racing after Aaron Reitzel. Uh, got booted from the team, but now Reitzel's back, and now now Roth's got a good driver with James McFadden. So now Casey Kane can focus maybe more on his own stuff along with with Brad Sweet, and uh, we'll see where where the future look where the what the future holds for not just sprint car racing but dirt racing in general. Oh, absolutely. Um, just because we were kind of on the topic of it, I know this isn't necessarily a NASCAR show, but what's your take on this Clash at the Coliseum deal? Uh, I got a good look at the track uh, uh, last night. I'm going like this ought to be pretty interesting. Be on the it looks it looks like Bowman Gray, but maybe slightly a slight bit of banking. So I'm thinking we're going to get kind of a Martinsville feel like that. You're going to see a lot of guys getting moved, and and it'd be it'd be nice if the if the outside groove would become a thing, so that we could have some pretty decent racing out there. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I hate to see those those new those brand new cars. You know, first thing you do, like, we've got these brand new cars, you know, we've been testing for months, first thing you do, go on to, onto a quarter mile in a football stadium, and, uh, and you know, if you've watched, if you've watched any videos from, uh, from Bowman Gray Stadium out there, uh, you, you know what happens down there. Things get a little bit wild. It's I a little close for comfort. I don't know, I love it, you know, you, it's funny, because NASCAR fans, are, are such a strange dynamic. I personally think we've got a little bit better fan base in the dirt world, but yeah. NASCAR, it's like, NASCAR, you really we can't... want short track racing. Bring it back to grassroots. Okay, here's a quarter mile. It's a quarter mile. And, like, yeah, they, you, you can't really get the best read on them, really. Well, and then you've got the people that are like, how could you do it out in California? What's California ever done for racing? Uh, uh, ever so- heard of Kyle Larson, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Jeff yeah. Gordon, Robbie Gordon? Go- yeah, a lot of those guys, uh, yeah, they, they've breeded champions. That's what they do out there. And they and they added another one with Larson. They, yep. did, they did with Harvick, of course, with Johnson and Gordon. I know Gordon started in California, moved to Indiana to run a lot of sprint car stuff before getting into the NASCAR side of things. But, yeah. California breeds a lot of talent and uh, and a lot of the grassroots stuff through sprint car racing and a lot of these out there. Tyler Reddick is another one. Yeah. Late model talent. Originally originally from Corning, California. Uh, his main late model, his dirt late model team was mainly uh, uh, based in DeCoin, Illinois. Uh, ran a lot of late model stuff with the Lucas Oil and World of Outlaw stuff before moving into the, into the trucks and ARCA and now into the Cup Series. So, yeah, California... Um, I know it's not quite the, maybe not the biggest, maybe not the first uh, state that people think of racing, but they do breed champions. Yeah, they're right up there. I'd I'd list them with Indiana or yeah, any the, of those what, big like Florida or yeah North Carolina. Like even like even when I'm talking sprint cars, like again, this is a late model guy. California is one of the first states I think to when it comes to sprint car racing. Mainly think Iowa, California, Indiana. Uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, that's just coming from my perspective. But no, those yeah. are the real hubs. You make yeah, a good point. There are a lot of good places out there that breed uh, top-notch sprint car talent. For me, any racing is good racing. And you see people complain about, well, support class this and support class that. At the end of the day, without all racing, we end up with no racing. So, I mean, Jeff Reed taught me the best line in my life. You can line up two dogs and I'll see which one gets to the piece of meat first. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean there was a time I used to, I used to announce competitive RC car races uh, just out out by out by Air Park out here at the old Hobby Town Speedway. Okay. I, I used to announce those too before I. That's what I did with my Thursday nights before going to Columbus on a regular basis. But I didn't know that. Wait. Do you ever go out to Mike Wilman's place, <clears throat> uh, Outlaw Speedway? I did one time. Like they didn't have someone to sing the national anthem, and I. I I volunteered to do that and stayed around, watched the races, and yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Like even even though I, 
you I mainly focus a lot of uh, of my time on late models, but I'll keep myself open to sprint cars because you never know if like a if a sprint car tour needs something needs a a voice because like you know last year uh, the URSS had an opening for for an announcer and a good guy from uh, who announced at Jefferson County Speedway uh, did a lot of stuff with the Lucas Oil now mini sprints when they had the Midwest Midget Championship out there. Yep. He went on and stepped in as the announcer for the United Rebel Sprint Series. And now we'll see uh, if he plans to stick with it the whole time or or we'll see what happens. Uh, but I'm mainly, I know I'm still sticking with the late models. I don't want to worry anyone there, but, uh, but yeah, I'll still be... Uh, I'll I'll still try to keep the options open there. All right. Well, you definitely do one heck of a job. You're a guy that I'm proud to know and be able to bounce ideas off of. Thank We're about you. an hour into it. What else you want to talk about? Oh man, I mean, besides the uh, besides uh, the Buccaneers not putting up a good performance today, um, I mean, it's oh, I know we were kind of shooting the breeze about your diecast collection. I know that's. Uh, I know I know Dan Taylor made a joke about this at the swap meet uh, like he he planned on starting a business and selling diecasts and underneath uh, what is your main uh, purpose one of your main plans of making money he's he just he said he would just write my name oh absolutely oh yeah it's like if some of the fans that that know me really well that I, I am an avid diecast collector just about anything racing you you name it like NASCAR old NASCARs, Indy cars, sprint cars, late models, monster trucks, uh, you name it. Uh, I have a pretty, pretty stout collection already and still adding to it. I mean, fun fact, I've never seen you without an announcer, you know, whatever your particular gear is for that night, be it an SLMR shirt. Anytime that I've seen you in a fan standpoint, whether it's at an auto show, whether a it's swap at, meet, whether it's at, at a Eagle. racetrack, yeah, I, I see you leaving... <laughs> With at least, a, I mean, the first time that I met Lydia, you had two bags full, and she had two bags full, and I'm like, man, if he's got her carrying around the diecast, she's a keeper. I mean, she, I actually kind of got her in on the uh, diecast thing as well. We hit up a few trade shows uh, here in Lincoln and over in Ashland. I've got a few. I mean, there are even a couple guys in in those uh, in those diecast collecting circles. They've asked me about the future of I80, and they they keep in touch on the racing scene around here, and like. Or like sometimes when I get, whenever I get get the chance to go to Eagle, I know I don't go there as often as I used to, uh, but that's that's just due to scheduling reasons. But you know it, the big track, you know your track photographer Joe Orth, you know I've made a pretty good bond with him through through diecast. He buys collections, and sometimes he lets me have first pick of them and uh, of any of the new stuff he's got. And so it's nice to help Joe and and Jason out with and Jason Orth out with that and, and like. Got to get a shout out to my buddy Tom Casey out in uh, out in Illinois. I I I don't know if I I had to have bought nearly a thousand dollars from him alone uh, during my weekend down at the Dome in St. Louis. He had a a booth set out there, had brand new um, Mike Spatola and and like Bobby Pierce and Dennis Herb Jr. Brian Shirley uh, stuff that he custom makes. He makes uh, he takes like some old NASCAR haulers and puts. Uh, some late model decals on the side of them. Yep. Sells them off, and uh, I bought a few from him. And God, I I, I can't thank him enough for um, a- adding to my collection as well. Man, collecting diecast is just so much fun. And what people don't realize about my collection is, aside from all the Budweiser stuff, yeah, ninety percent of what I've got is all something with a sentimental value. Like I I don't have this is my man cave this is where all that stuff stays there are literally six pieces of die cast inside my house and that is the very first 124 scale that i ever got my grandpa we lost him last winter to alzheimer's and even as his mind really started to go he would always remind us that he bought me and my brother these 124 scale Mustang convertibles, and damn it, we just beat the hell out of those things. So <laughs> uh, when he kind of started getting bad, I'm like, okay, I've got to buy one of these and at least show it to him. So I've got that, a custom Roland Race News truck. I've got a car that I made look like one of my old compacts on a trailer. There that, you go. Uh, 
Actually, my dad loaned us his truck and trailer so we could take this car down to Beatrice for practice day, and I actually let Terry Danley drive it. Oh, there you go. So one of the last pictures my grandpa had taken, it was really shaky-handed, but I just loved that red car on a red trailer and a red truck, so I custom-made that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I'm still kind of envious of, like, some of your older... Uh, 80s NASCAR stuff. You have an old Neil Bonnet and Daryl Waltrip ones. I don't believe I have either one of those in my collection. I need to get on that. Best trade secret that I got for you when it comes to that is if you find the clear window that are actual die cast with opening hood and trunk, they get really expensive. But if you buy the black window banks... I think the Neil Bonnet I gave 15 for plus shipping on Facebook and... I know for a fact the Daryl Waltrip one was 20 bucks plus shipping yeah. on eBay. So look for the banks. They're a great way to save a buck. Definitely. And uh, it also depends on who you know as well. Cause oh, like yeah. Through these, I mean, through these uh, these trade shows that we go to and a lot of these uh, Hot Wheels swap meets and stuff, you know, uh, if, if you work well enough with – I'd suggest, you know, try to work as well as you can – uh, with the vendors as well, and 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 be reasonable with them. Work with them if you if you want to. Don't be too outlandish with it because if you could build, like I said, the same thing is with me and announcers. If I could develop a a, a decent uh, working relationship with a vendor, you know, you'll the, you'll reap the rewards because there are times you know where I I buy like from my buddy Tom up in Illinois when he brings in a new shipment. He'll message me and he'll let me have first pick. And uh, a lot of times they'll, or like, or like at vendors, they may not sit, they won't be able to sit everything on the tables, but they'll bring you behind the table and let you like, sort through hey, the tubs. Hey, look through this tote, man. Yeah, that's, that's how Joe Orth treats me yep. every Saturday night. It, you can almost count on it like clockwork. I go to get my band. I come walking back through. James. Yep. James. Come over here, I got this, you need this, come on, come on and get this. <laughs> yep, as, as the old saying goes, a little kindness can go a long way. And Absolutely. We, we've been seeing that through uh, through racing and uh, as well as uh, collecting die casts as well. And that's that's another thing, uh, that's a kind of sports collecting that's a little different, you know, with... You know, with with places like like football, like basketball, you have your collector's items. Like with with basketball, you know, like a collector's ball that's signed by a player, a jersey that's that's signed, a piece of the jersey on a trading card. You have your trading cards. You could you could get a, a piece of the net that came from a from a big game or like a football, you you know, game ball or something like that from. Or like racing, you know, you see all these guys like at spread cars with late miles. They'll sell literal parts from the car. Oh yeah, at their at their vendors, and you know, a couple hundred bucks, you can get a used fender or like, or like what uh, what Dan Taylor gave me uh, at one of the uh, one of our Daytona 500 watch parties. I actually won a used uh, Goodyear tire that uh, I remember that came from an Xfinity race at Kansas. I mean, I probably wasn't at that race, but still. Uh, I've watched numerous races at Kansas, and and just to have a little piece of that is, uh, it's it's pretty something else. Yeah, it's great to have little mementos like, like that. Or like for those who may not be able to see in the studio, you know, you've got the Beatrice Speedway Victory Lane thing up here. That's I have no idea where that came from, by the way. <laughs> that is really cool. I mean, I I think if you know before we. You know, before we say our last goodbye to to I eighty, I mean, somehow, I mean, I would love to, you know, or like if you remember what if you've watched the third Cars movie or something like that, you know, there was a scene from there when uh, when Lightning McQueen's going through uh, the new Rusty's place. They had those little jars of dirt from the old tracks that uh, yep. his mentor Doc raced from. I, I'd love to do that. Maybe get a scoop or a little bag of the dirt from like like from I eighty from Columbus from Junction or something like that because those are the tracks that uh, you know that that I cut my teeth on. That's where I that I worked my craft. That's how I perfect. That's how I bettered it. And you know, without those tracks, we wouldn't be the announcers we were today. You're absolutely right. It gives us a place to go and work and hone our craft. And by the way, I know you're not a drinking guy, Yeah. but Smoky Mountain Moonshine, they kind of give back to racing a little bit. And I was over at a race fans house party last night and they were doing these shots of the Smoky Mountain Moonshine. And it's, just this little baby jar. I'll have to start collecting those jars and giving them to you for some dirt samples. Yeah, maybe so. And uh, you're there, and maybe you need to get Wade Onger on the on the on the phone and uh, some of that because, like, I know we uh, actually got a chance to announce alongside Wayne Wade for the first time uh, up at Knoxville. So 
So if uh, is, if Wade's announce uh, is listening out there, your buddy Ainzo is uh, saying a big shout out to you. That's that's the nickname he gave to me while we were just shooting the breeze out in Knoxville. So so Ainzo's definitely thinking about him and uh, hoping he gets back to the states soon so we can hopefully call another race. All right, man. Well. That kind of sounds like a great place to end this. I want to thank you so much for coming over here, man. It's way overdue, and yeah. as the summer goes along, you can fall by any time. We'll talk about some super late model racing or whatever you want to talk about. Definitely, we can have like a mid race recap, especially since I had no idea you were uh, so close to like a to like a like a property my family used to own back in the day. They my my folks used to live in uh, in the house literally just across the alleyway from here. I had I had no idea you were that close, but. Uh, but yeah, if if you want like a mid-season recap for the Malvern Bank series on how things are going or or you know, maybe it's maybe it's shortly after our our championship race at I80. I know it's going to be I know the the feelings are going to be kind of somber because we're we're saying goodbye to a a place that gave us so many memories and we made them we made those memories ourselves. But even after that, I'll I'll still be happy that we've gotten to go through that season and we've and we've gotten to share so many great times uh, throughout the summers. For better, or for worse, we're we're in it together. Absolutely, man. Um, well, you you brought up one more topic that I want to run by you, and any, I haven't even sh- ran it by Dan yet. Sure. But I think we should all get our GoPros and whatever cameras we can out. And you know, I don't know if you watched the Only Place to Be, the documentary about Sunset, but I think we should make like. Uh, kind of a live documentary little mini-sode thing as the year goes on through I-80 and just talk to the people that have made that because you've got like the Robinson family that's been going yeah, there I mean, forever. I yeah, think I mean, we lost fun. We lost Larry Sr. Yeah. Uh, this past season. I know, of course, uh, you know, we lost we lost a number of great guys who have uh, helped make I-80 who it is. Of course, about four or five years ago, we lost Don Moore, who was a longtime racer in the – I remember when the old Pro-Am division, which is now our stock car division, that used to be almost all Camaros. I think what was oh, yeah. it? I think Joe Fan, Steve Peoples, and I'm trying to think maybe Jason Seaslick. They were like the only three guys who did not run Camaros on a regular basis. But Oh, yeah, Nick Hermson was another yep. one. He ran the old Thunderbird. But other than that, all the others were Camaros. Don Moore and, and Jeff Bonney were some of the last guys that uh, that ran those Camaros. Of course, the, the Cleveland family, like Terry and oh, Casey yeah. from right here in Lincoln, they ran the Camaros out there. Scott Carlson did as well. Scotty Hartman, Nick Steyer, uh, Marty Steinbach did for a while. So it, it'd be great to get those. It'd be nice to maybe get a collection of uh, all those drivers past and present, and uh, it'd be a nice little time capsule video to to finish it out. It, especially we got to... Get some of those guys uh, when when Silver Dollar Nationals comes oh, around, or That's like, or when the World of Outlaws comes around. You know, we get a few of the sprint car guys out here. So, that'd be or like if if he's in the house during that weekend, it'd be pretty cool if if somehow Doug Wolfgang makes it through because Doug used to compete in the uh, sprint car divisions down at I eighty back in the nineties oh, yeah. and stuff. So, it, it'd be really cool to get his take on that. I love the idea of it. We'll have to make it happen. I don't want to go too far into detail, but just because you were talking it's, about the old Camaros, just in case my mom's listening, but uh, I, yeah. I happen to know where a couple are just sitting out in the weeds, and well, I, I think that'd be a fun little summer restoration project. Uh, well, you never know. The, I mean, not only that, but the Midwest Classics are always looking for new uh, for new members. I know they had a, a car for sale out at the Swamp Meet. So I saw that. That was, pretty, that was a nice-looking machine out there. It'd be nice to get a few more Camaros out there. Almost, you know, that are a nostalgic modified tour, like all those older modified That'd chassis. I don't, I don't know if there are any more out there, but like like '90s or early 2000s modified chassis. That'd be pretty cool to have like a a nostalgic modified tour. I'd be all about it, man. Anything yeah. that gets you going racing. Um, <laughs> have you ever actually gotten to get in a car and turn a couple laps? Um, I've been in a in a couple of seats of cars, but never one up to speed. Like for closest i got to was uh when, when steve uh Kaziski gave me a lift in the uh in the i-80 pace car okay or or that or like this last year i know uh our good buddy push truck mike mike peterson he who's is been so fun to ride with oh yeah i got to ride along right along in him when we uh one of our times we had the 360s out uh we were right behind jack dover we pushed him off for hot laps i think we got seth bramer as well we pushed him off for hot laps and that was a pretty fun thing to try to 
do to broadcast the ride along as we went around I eighty. I always tried to do that when I'd ride with Gary Dominguez, and I just couldn't get the wireless to work at the points where I wanted it to. It's, it's got to be the lights. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> oh man, that would have been really cool. It's a blast, man. Any any time you can do it, and I want to get Dan in one too. So I I really think I'm gonna have to start hitting the pavement and seeing if I can find a compact. Hmm. And just go out there and turn some laps on a play day or something, you know? Don't yeah. have to worry about being out there with anybody else. I just, I don't know. For a legally blind guy that never should have gotten behind the wheel, I think everybody should get to try it at least yeah. once. I mean, I mean, Chad Jensen used to before he, you know, he lost his eyesight before, but he was a pretty, good, pretty tough late model driver out in Norfolk, and now he's uh, one of the main crew members on Tad Pospichel's crew, and, uh, and I think he still brags that uh, Tad made him, a mention of this during his his uh, champion speech out there, like he keeps hearing Chad brag about the one time that uh, that he beat Tad at off road in in an SLMR event in a crate car out there. I think I called that race. He ended up, I think Chad ended up ended up getting third in the feature that night. I think I heard that story from those guys one <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, and they'll st- they'll still never hear the end of it. I'm sure. Oh no, that's just one of the great things about racing is you've always got a future in it in some aspect, whether it's a fan, a driver, an announcer, anything. There's always something you can do around the racetrack. Not only that, but you have so many great stories to throw out, and uh, and you know if you listen to that that Kane Brown song, "Famous Friends," I mean, it feels that way just about every night at the racetrack. Oh, absolutely. One way or another. You know, you could be you could be the guy who wins five races in a row, guy who wins every race in a season, or you could be the guy that uh, remember when he flew through the trees at a, at a place, or if he landed his car in a pond or somewhere, or got stuck, or or heck, <laughs> well, or you could be the guy that ended up. Everyone knows him as the guy who blew his motor packing the track. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, whether you've got no wins or a hundred wins, you're always famous to somebody. Yep, that's that's the beauty of the sport. A lot of beauty in the past, a lot of beauty in the present. We're going to keep things going with a lot of beauty in the future, man. I can't wait for this 2022, th- 2022 season. Man, if I could just say a few words, I'd be a better public speaker. I mean, you you and me both, man. I mean, I'm, I say I haven't opened the Mountain Dew yet, but I will drink to that. And uh, here's to... I'm hoping to get more than about 75 nights. I think that's what I got last last year. I already got two in with the cart shootout, but uh, we'll see what the, this year brings and hoping to stay busy as ever. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, yeah. once again, thank you for jumping on the show with me. We'll do it again. And thank you, each and every one of you, that tuned into this episode of Roland Race News. <laughs>